Go ahead and be seated. Thank you, worship team. One thing I love about this church is when you step in our doors from the time you meet uh, our, our connections team to the worship, man, you know we're about, we are about Jesus. We are about having hearts of gratitude, like Pastor Daniel said, not just one day of the year, but every single day. Uh, happy uh, belated Thanksgiving to all of you. Welcome to Christmas season. I know that there's been a lot of disunity in our church over when is okay to decorate for Christmas, but I think we're all safely past that point now. We can all be united that we are officially entering into Christmas season, so we are so excited. We've got an Advent series coming up starting next week, so you're going to want to be able to join us for that. But this week, we are closing out our series on generosity. I really hope that this series has been both insightful and encouraging for you as we've come to learn together that generosity isn't about what God wants from us, but about what God wants what? For us. Very good. You guys have been listening. Generosity is about what God wants for us, but the challenge is, right, that, that, that our world doesn't really see generosity this way, right? We live in a culture that's really more about consumption, don't we? A society that is quite literally built on chasing after more, right? More money, more status, more stuff. And so every day what happens is multiple times a day we are confronted with this lie that we can't be or we won't be fulfilled unless we, we have or unless we acquire whatever fancy new fill in the blank, right? You turn on a TV, you drive down the street, you are confronted with these lies that we can't be or won't be enough. And I want to show you what I mean this morning. I want to do just a little bit of experiment. It's going to require some audience participation. Are y'all okay with that? We're all awake from our food coma from, from Thursday. Enough time has passed. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put some logos up on the screen. And what I want you to do is I want you to shout out the, the famous marketing slogan for these companies, okay? Here's the first one. Nike. Just do, it. just do it. Very good. Give you guys the easy one first, all right? Here's the second one. Disneyland. Happiest place on earth. Okay, very good. All right. Now, how about this third one? Burger King. Have it your way. Have it your way. Okay. Okay. These are the, the low-hanging fruit. But see, in our house, uh, my nine-year-old son, he loves commercials. I'm not sure why, but he really loves jingles, okay? So we're going to do some jingles. I want you to finish the jingle. Let's see this next one. All right, State Farm. Like a good neighbor. Very good. Okay, okay. One more. This next one's my favorite one, okay, from growing up as a kid. I'm not sure if it's still on, on commercials, okay? The best part of waking up. Man, you guys came through. That was awesome. Now, I don't drink coffee, but I'm told that last one is straight up false advertising. But I'll let you guys be the judge of that one. Hopefully, you see what I'm getting at here. These companies, these slogans, these advertisements... They become embedded into our everyday lives. Why is that? Well, I'll tell you why. These companies are spending billions and billions of dollars to convince us or to try and convince us that we won't be complete, we won't be content unless we have whatever it is that they're trying to promote. I think I read the other day, $350 billion in the U.S. alone are spent on advertising like this. And so let's be honest, right? These companies aren't just trying to convince us of these things. They're actually succeeding in it. See, because all around us are people that are living in this relentless pursuit of more. More money, more status, more stuff. Even within the church, people have oriented their entire lives around this pursuit rather than their pursuit of Christ. 
right? They, they're looking for, for satisfaction in their stuff rather, rather than finding their satisfaction in their Savior. And I think one of the lies that we can so easily fall into is, is we'll end up looking to Jesus, hoping that he will give us what we need, rather than trusting in the fact that he alone is what we need. Do you all see the difference there? How often we pray, Jesus, give us what we need. And he's standing there saying, I am what you need. Within that truth right there, family, lies the key to living a truly generous life. It's understanding that true contentment can only be found in Christ. Right? That our search for more, it can only be satisfied by our Savior. Are y'all with me this morning? My prayer for our time together this morning is simple. Right, that the Lord would reveal that truth through his word. And that out of this place of true contentment in Christ, that we would become the abundantly generous people that he has created us to be. So that's where we're going this morning. But before we go any further this morning, would you pause for a word of prayer with me? Father, we want to thank you again for this time and for this space. Lord, for this family and for this fellowship. Ask, Lord, that you would just speak to us this morning through your word. Would you reorient our hearts? Would you reorient our lives to be in pursuit of Christ and Christ alone? It's in his holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles this morning to 1 Timothy. We're going to be in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6 this morning. As you find your place there, let me just give you a little bit of background on this book of 1 Timothy. I know it's not one that we're in oftentimes here at Awaken. The first thing you need to know about this book of Timothy, 1 Timothy, is that it's not a book at all. It's actually a letter like much of the New Testament. And it's not a letter that was written by Timothy, but rather one that was written to Timothy. So this letter was written to Timothy by his mentor, the Apostle Paul. So we have to ask ourselves, why is Paul writing a letter to Timothy? That's a pretty good question. Paul is writing to Timothy because he's sending his, his trusted partner and his protege to confront and to minister to some of the churches in the city of Ephesus. Okay, so we know from the book of Ephesians, right, that, that these churches in Ephesus were planted by Paul. He raised up leaders there. But since he had done that, these churches, they, had, they were starting to see some, some bad theology, some unhealthy practices emerge. And so what Paul does is he sends Timothy there on a mission to correct them and to, like I said, minister to them. And rather than just kind of sending him and, and, and throwing him to the wolves, so to speak, Paul sends this letter to Timothy to give him some really, some practical instruction for how to help right the ship there. So what that means is this letter, it's full of really great wisdom, but even more so, some really like practical instruction for the church. This book of 1 Timothy is where we find Paul's instruction uh, on things like corporate worship, like qualifying leaders, elders for the church, and even the caring for widows. But the section that we're going to look at today here in chapter 6, it's actually the conclusion to this letter. And it's where Paul addresses what's perhaps the greatest danger facing the church. And it has to do with this concept of contentment. So that's a little bit of the background of this letter. But let's take a look at chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 3. This is some context before we get to our main passage. And what we see here in these first few verses is this desire for more has emerged even in the leaders of the church in Ephesus. Join me, if you would, in verses 3 through 5. Paul tells Timothy, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Gotta love Paul. Shooting straight. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy 
and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now I want you to key in on that last phrase there. Paul says that these false teachers were imagining that godliness is a means of gain. And so what Paul's doing is he's clearly calling out some, some bad theology, but even more than that, he's calling out the motivation behind it. Right? He's saying these false teachers, they're not motivated by the gospel, they're motivated by what they can gain from it. Right? They weren't exactly interested in building uh, uh, God's kingdom, they were interested in building their own kingdom. So sure, they were preaching in, in the name of Jesus, but they were preaching with hearts that were not truly content in him. Right? They were preaching with their hearts still set on acquiring more, more, more money, more status, more stuff. And so what we ultimately see is that the culture of the day then really isn't that much different than the culture of the day now. They may not have had these fancy marketing slogans or these cool jingles, but the devil still had plenty to work with. And the devil still had plenty to work with to draw these people away from the Lord and towards the things of this world. So that's why Paul steps in. He makes a very important correction, a very important to, correction to this way of thinking that doesn't just apply to the people then, to those teachers, to Timothy. It applies even still here to us today. We're going to find that correction here in verses 6 through 8. Paul says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Say that one again. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Now, if this sounds familiar to you, there's a reason why. What Paul's doing is he's, he's pointing back to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. Right, the ones we looked at a couple of weeks ago, where Jesus shares this treasure principle. Right? It tells us not to, to, to store up treasures on earth where, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but to store up treasures in heaven. And the reason why Paul is emphasizing this is because the teachers in Ephesus, they weren't living by this principle. They had been preaching Jesus while pursuing the world. And because they were doing this, they were setting an example and really setting an expectation that the people who were hearing them, that they could hold on to the world with one hand and hold on to Jesus with the other. Right? That they, could, that they could gain the world without losing their soul. And Paul here is saying, he's like, no, that is not it. Right? He has to set the record straight by saying that the goal, family, is godliness with contentment. It's godliness with contentment. Paul says that's the only way to find this more that you have been searching for. So what's the challenge? Well, the challenge is most of us have no idea what this looks like. We have no idea what this looks like. What, is it, what does it mean? What does it look like to pursue godliness with contentment in a culture that has a surplus of stuff? Like truly, what does that look like? What does that mean? That's what I want to hone in on this morning. Because I believe if we find the answer to that question, then we will be able to unlock this life of abundant generosity that the Lord has called us to live. No, I cannot stress enough how important it is that we understand, that we learn, that we truly embrace this concept of contentment. So what I want to help you do this morning is really just to take those two terms, right? That one phrase, but godliness with contentment is gain. Let's understand what these things mean from a biblical perspective, starting with this idea, this term of godliness. What is godliness? If you're taking notes this morning, I'd encourage you to write this one down. Godliness is a lifestyle that reflects the character of God. 
Godliness is a lifestyle that reflects the character of God. See, none of us can become God, but God's goal for us is that we would become like him, right? That we would live in God-likeness, in God-likeness. Simply put, that, that when people look at our lives, they would see God in it. Make sense? It's like when, when, when people see my son, Caleb. Right? One of my proudest moments as a dad is when they look at him and they, they look at me and they, they look at him again and they look at me and even though he's, he's got blonde hair and fair skin, they, they're like, yeah, he's definitely your son. Or even better, when they, when they hear him talk, some of the things he says or some of the ways he acts, and they're like, yep, yep, I can see it. Shouldn't that be our priority with our lives? That people would look at us and they, 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 they'd look at the gospel, and they, they'd look at us, they'd look at, they'd look at Jesus, like, yeah, I can see it. I can see it. Family, godliness must be our goal. That's the difference between a Christian who only sees the gospel as, as their way to getting their get-out-of-jail-free card versus the Christ follower who understands that their, their life wasn't just purchased on the cross. Their life was to be shaped by it. Godliness must be our goal. So let me ask you this, family. Is your life shaped more by the cross or by culture? Is your life shaped more by the cross or by culture? That's why we're so passionate here at Awaken about calling you to live fully engaged lives. Because that's the path towards God-likeness, right? Coming to church on Sunday, spending time in the Word, going to life groups. These things aren't about putting a feather in your cap or, or about putting a, an achievement sticker on our board. It's about you becoming more and more like Christ. So you reorienting your heart and your life towards Him. And the same goes, family, for practicing sacrificial generosity. You're not called to give because God needs your money. He doesn't need your money to grow his church. No, he wants you to give so that he can grow you. So that he can grow you and lead you to looking more and more like him. Family, godliness is a lifestyle that reflects the character of God. So why is it such a struggle for us? Right? Why is it such a struggle? If, if, if Scripture commands it and we see a clear benefit for it, why is godliness such a struggle? Well, for the same reason, it's hard to keep a healthy diet when you're standing in front of the buffet line. We've all been there. When we, when we have so many options of things in this world that we can fill our stomachs with, it's no surprise that we never develop an appetite for the, the Lord or for His Word. That's why Paul emphasizes the importance of godliness with contentment. It's godliness with contentment. Those two things must go together. So if godliness is our goal, then we must chase after contentment. What is contentment, you ask? Well, if we look at the original word that Paul uses here, it speaks to this idea of being sufficient, right? Of not being in need. So contentment at the basic level is this state of simply having enough, right? Of, of finding joy in what God has given us and, and, and choosing not to have not to satisfy this itch we have for more. It's a feeling that I'm willing to bet most of us haven't experienced in quite some time. In fact, as I was preparing for this message, I, I went back in my own mind, in my own past, and I was like, when was the last time I was truly content? And I don't know if any of you can relate to this, but y'all, I had to go all the way back to my childhood to think of the last time where I didn't feel like I had some sort of, some sort of desire, some sort of want. All the way back to that time when, I guess ironically, I didn't have a dime to my name, when I was completely dependent on somebody else to provide for me. Right back to that time before peer pressure started, 
before comparison became a concern, before I had any, any fear over my future. You'll see the irony there? That the most content moments of our lives are, are the ones where we were the most simple, where we had the least amount of stuff. Right? Back, when, back when maybe your parents took care of you completely, the way that God always has and promises always to do. I think there's an important connection. It may be obvious, but it's an important connection there to make, family. But I want to be clear here, when, when Paul talks about contentment, he's talking about more than just simplicity, right? Because I think this like minimalist mindset, it probably has benefits to everybody, but there's a difference, a big difference between basic contentment and Christian contentment. See, basic contentment says, I have all I need. Christian contentment, on the other hand, says, I have all I need in Jesus. There's a huge difference there. This idea of contentment for a Christian is depending on Jesus to provide for you what you truly need and trusting that what he provides is truly enough. Like I said earlier, unless your, your search for satisfaction begins with your Savior, you're always going to be left searching and wanting for more. Y'all still tracking with me this morning? Gideon is. The rest of you, I'm trusting. Okay, thank you, Tammy. That's good. Because as we're going to see here, as we continue in Paul's letter to Timothy, we're going to see what dangers lie in wait for us if we can't find this contentment. Look with me back at 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Paul says that those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So Paul paints a pretty vivid picture here of what lies in wait for us if we choose to pursue the things of this world, right? It's pretty vivid. It's not a very pretty picture, is it? Right? Yet so many, so many will roll straight through that stop sign. So many will, will put a blindfold on and basically walk through a minefield that Paul says will lead to ruin and destruction. And as I was reading this, I, I thought, surely people aren't knowingly and willingly going into this, right? Nobody truly wants to experience ruin and destruction in their lives. Nobody wants to, 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 to leave the faith and to pierce themselves with many pangs, to put themselves into pain. So what is it then? Why would somebody willingly choose to take this path? I think what lies at the root of this family, I need you to hear me when I say this, is that people believe that contentment is something that can be found. I think at some level, we believe that contentment is something that can be found, either in earthly riches or maybe in, in changing our circumstances. But these are the types of snares, these, these traps that Paul is speaking about. Because contentment can't be found in earthly riches. I think at some level, we know that, right? But yet we still chase after them. Contentment can't be found in earthly riches. And I want to give you a perfect example and to prove this to you why they can't be found in earthly riches, okay? So, so this is picture here. You guys may have heard of this guy. This is, this is Tom Brady. This is Tom Brady. And he, he's referred to by many as the, as the greatest quarterback of all time, right? The most winningest quarterback of all time. I, I tend to disagree with that, but, but if you look simply at the stats, that's true, okay? And by worldly standards, this guy has held in his hands just about everything that this world has to offer. And yet, I will never forget watching this interview that he did on 60 Minutes I think it was after winning his fourth Super Bowl, right? He's, he's got everything, right? His, his net worth is skyrocketing. His marriage to the, the most famous supermodel in the world is still happy and healthy. 
And yet he said that he had reached his goals, that he had achieved his dreams, but he couldn't shake this fact. There was still something more out there for him. He said, and I quote, it's got to be more than this. This can't be what it's all cracked up to be. This guy had everything the world had to offer, and he knew there was still more. Now, because contentment can't be found in earthly riches. It also can't be found in changing our circumstances. For those of us who have not been blessed with all of earthly, with the world's earthly riches, I think this is the, the bigger temptation for many of us, is to think that, hey, once my circumstances change, well, then I will be content. Once I get married, then all will be good, right? Once I get that job, buy that car, own that home, get into that school, then all will be well with my soul. But you can't find contentment simply by changing your circumstances. Just change your circumstances and you'll see. You'll still be left wanting for more. That's why, that's why discontent people are always finding reasons to be discontent. Have you notice that? Right? It's kind of like when you take that, uh, that fuzzy sweater out of the dryer, right? And then you put it on. It doesn't matter what you do to change your circumstances. Like that thing's going to be stuck to you. That's what discontentment does in our lives. You cannot find contentment simply by changing your circumstances. Nor can you find it in earthly riches. In fact, you cannot find contentment at all because true contentment, family, must be learned. True contentment must be learned. If you are taking notes this morning, write that down, bold it, underline it, circle it. True contentment must be learned. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul. You may notice one of the verses here from Philippians 4. He says that he had learned in whatever situation he was in to be content. He said, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now here's why that's important. Other than putting that often misquoted verse 13 into its appropriate context. It's because contentment is ultimately out of our control. Contentment is ultimately out of our control. It's not something we can find, and it's not something we can will ourselves to. Contentment is learned in a committed and a submitted relationship with Jesus. Contentment is learned in a committed and submitted relationship with Jesus. So what that means, family, is that it's only when we relinquish control. And it's only when we surrender our search for more that we can learn and live truly content. Or as Paul is going to say here to Timothy, it's only when we let go of that which we've been given that we can truly grab hold of all that Jesus came to give. Skip with me, if you would, down to verse 17 in chapter 6. Paul tells Timothy, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So Paul, he gives this instruction to the rich, right? And let's be honest, if you're like me, you're thinking, well, okay, I don't need to listen to that one, right? Wrong. Sure, when we compare ourselves, right, to, to our neighbors or, or some of those people around us, we may not, may not be rich by their standards. But y'all, we are so wealthy. I'm not sure if you knew this, but actually recent global statistics show that if you have a roof over your head and food on your table, then you are richer than 93% of the world's population. 
93%. And I think the simple fact that most of us don't feel that way shows that we are prone to fall into that temptation that Paul is speaking of. So let's just all go ahead and lump ourselves into that group that Paul is speaking about here, okay? I think there's some really good wisdom he's going to share. See, because he's pointing out our tendency, which is to trust in the abundant blessings that God has given us rather than to trust in God himself. And this is the oldest trick in the book, right? This is how the enemy attacks us. He doesn't have to tell us that, that we don't serve a good father. He just says, hey, look at the good things he, he gave you. Make those things your God. That's why Paul offers a very simple solution, family. He says, give it away. Give it away. Let go of the things that you have been given so that you may take hold of that which is truly life. So if we're to follow this, right, what are we to do with our time? We're to give it, right, generously to serve the Lord. What are we to do with our, with our stuff? Right, we're to give it generously to bless others. And what about our money? Well, like it or not, we're to give it generously in worship of Jesus. So here's the thing, family, when we give generously out of what we've been given, what we're really doing is we're freeing ourselves from the temptation that we have to worship the gifts and instead choosing to worship the gift giver. See, it's only when we let go of the things that we've been given here and now that we can truly take hold of all that God has for us in the age to come. That's why Paul says we are to do good, right? to be rich in good works, to be generous, to be ready to share so that we might take hold of that which is truly life. See, this call to, to generosity, it's, it's, it's not just about sacrificing for the Lord. It's about receiving an invitation from him to put your trust in him, to, to find your strength and your joy in him, right? Because generosity isn't about what God wants from you. It's about what he wants for you. And what he wants for you, family, is everlasting life. That's why he gave, right? That's why he gave his son so that you might have eternal life. Are you seeing the connection here? That's why we are to reflect that generous heart of God. Godliness with contentment is depending on that promise made in John 3.16. That if we trust in the Lord's provision, if we seek to reflect Him in our giving, that we will experience eternity with Him. So listen, I could, I could end the message right here and, and simply invite you to respond and trust that you will just go and, and just be abundantly generous. But you all know that's not exactly how we roll here at Awaken. We like to make the spiritual practical we like to call you to live these fully engaged lives with Jesus, each other, and our world. We like to do this together as a family for that added accountability and support. And so what I want to do this morning, rather than extend an invitation, I actually want to issue a challenge. I want to issue a challenge. And that challenge is for you to take the wisdom and the, the instruction, the, 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 the discernment that you've gathered over the last few weeks here, and to put that into practice, not just on Sundays, but between Sundays. And we're going to do that in something that we are calling the contentment challenge. The contentment challenge. Now here's what this challenge is. It's an opportunity for you to invite God to prove to you that what he's given you is truly enough. And we're going to do that by fasting from any unnecessary expenses from now until the beginning of the calendar year. From now until January 1st. And this isn't just a challenge for, for, for the adults or for the, the wealthy in the room. This is a challenge for everybody. So youth, little kiddos, this is for everyone here in this room, for the youngest to the oldest, for the next 35 days. 
to take this challenge, to accept this challenge, because I believe that if we seek to learn contentment in this way, we will see God do incredible things. Not just in the way he reorients our hearts towards him, but in the way that he blesses others through our generosity. So let's talk just for a moment about how you can accept and how you can take this challenge. I've got a few simple steps for you we're going to put up here on the board. We've got a, a card we're going to hand out to you here in just a little bit. But let me just walk you through some of these things. The first step is simply to sit down and to take a look at all of your expenses. Discern which ones are necessary, which ones are unnecessary. I'll leave that discernment between you and the Lord, but we all know that maybe that Starbucks isn't quite as necessary. You all know what those necessary, unnecessary expenses are. Sit down, be practical, be honest, and then commit to only those necessary expenses between now and January 1st. I will caveat this by saying that giving and receiving gifts is totally acceptable. So you all need to, to run and return those Black Friday gifts can hold on to those, but use some discernment, right? And, and, and use some wisdom in the things you buy from here on out. So that's step number one, commit to only those necessary expenses. And step number two and three is where this starts to get fun. This is where you pray and you ask God how you can give of the time and the money, the stuff that you've now been freed up to give, right? This could be, be taking the, the money you would have spent on unnecessary things and investing it into the kingdom. Or it could be taking that time that you would have spent binging on, on Netflix and using it to, to serve others. Or it could be gathering your family, gathering those you may live with, and, and simply giving out of the surplus of those things you have. I don't know how many times y'all walk into your pantry or your closet, say, I've got nothing to eat. I've got nothing to wear. Y'all got plenty. Make this a family activity. Gather them and give out of what you've been given. These are just a few ideas, y'all, but I do want to encourage you. Would you pray? Would you, be, would you be open to whatever creative or sacrificial way that the Lord is calling you to give? Would you be open to him teaching you what contentment truly looks like in these next five weeks? What we're going to co commit to do as your, as your leaders, as your pastors, is to, is to continue encouraging you over these next five weeks we're going to share with you some, some helpful uh, info on some of our ministry partners that you can donate some of those items to. We're going to be there to, to support you and hold you accountable in this. And listen, I know this feels like a big sacrifice, especially at this time of year. But the real sacrifice is what you would miss out on by not chasing after contentment. So can I challenge you, family, to join us? To join us and watch how God reorients your heart to join us and watch how God transforms your family. Watch how he uses your generosity to impact the kingdom. I really hope y'all will accept this challenge. Take it with us because I know God's going to do some incredible things through us. I want to invite y'all now, if you would, stand to your feet. I'm going to call our ushers forward. Like I said, we've got this card we're going to hand to you here as we enter back into a, a time of worship. And, and this card just has that same information on there. Our hope is that this will serve as, as some practical instruction for you, but also as a constant reminder. So would you take this home and would you not just leave it in your car? Would you not just put it on your, your countertop? Would you actually sit down this evening with your roommate, with your spouse, with your family? Would you talk about what this looks like? Would you pray about it? Say, Lord, what, what are you asking me to, to give? What things in my life are unnecessary and what can I do with those to impact your kingdom? 
Don't wait to do this, family. Commit to this challenge. Take this step of faith. And you see how the Lord will use it to teach you contentment and to bless you with this wonderful gift. Would you pray with me? Father, our hearts are humbled this morning. Lord, we're overwhelmed by your grace and your goodness and the ways you have so richly provided for us. Thank you for the reminders in your word of just how generously you have blessed us. I ask, Lord, on behalf of my brothers and sisters gathered here this morning that you would teach us in this season not just to be grateful, but to be truly content. Would you show each of us through this challenge that our only need in life is you and you alone? Would you grant us wisdom as we step into this challenge? Grant us discernment and fill us with courage so that we can learn to depend on and to desire you alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.